0: Hello friends. This is the Tarts Friends Church podcast. We are Jesus People, Kingdom of God people. welcoming, yearning, sharing. And we're glad you're connecting here with us. We'd love to connect in person as well. If you're inclined to support this podcast or for more information, just hop on over to netartsfriends.org. That's neatartsfriends.org Let's jump into today's sermon. I need to begin the conversation today by admitting an assumption that I'm working with. And that is that I believe there's some kind of a battle going on in this universe between good and evil. I think there's something more than simply survival going on. I think that this universe is dealing with some kind of a dark force. This dark force seems to be attempting to work backwards. Like instead of fostering life, it's trying to dehumanize. It is working in the opposite direction of human thriving, shalom, well-being, This dark force is attempting to distort everything good. It is attempting to get people to do things that they would not normally do in order to create further harm, destruction, dysfunction, spirals of greed and vengeance. This dark force seems to thrive in creating chaos and confusion, competition, violence, And at times, we see this dark force trying to infect not only individuals, but leaders, empires, and entire systems. Not everyone in our modern world is starting with this same assumption that I'm starting with. Not everyone believes that there's some kind of a dark force that we're dealing with at all. There are plenty of people who boil every difficult experience of humanity down to natural causes, They point towards mental health, environmental factors, socio-political factors, etc. For me, rather than an either-or perspective, I see a both-and perspective. I don't deny that many of the difficulties that we experience can be attributed to these natural factors. And yet, I do not rule out that this universe is also dealing with some kind of a dark force. When I look at the gas chambers of the Holocaust, the Trail of Tears, the enslavement of millions of Africans, the epidemic of school shootings, genocides and wars across history, I see more than simply natural and situational factors. I see dark forces in there attempting to work backwards against everything that God created as good. I see a cosmic conflict between good and evil. Christian scripture uses language for these dark forces, such as the adversary, the accuser, Satan, the devil, principalities and powers, spiritual forces of evil. I think of the the end of the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, which is deliver us from evil. This assumption that I'm working with brings us to our conversation today, which is temptation or testing or natural causes. Life is full of hard experiences of all different kinds, colors, flavors, They come from unexpected angles. They bushwhack us and ambush us and surprise us. Things happen out of the blue. We get blindsided. Life is full of sneaker waves. One moment we're enjoying a sunny day at the beach, and the next moment we're knee-deep in ice-cold water and being dragged out to sea. Someone steals your wallet, and you're pretty sure who, and you can't help holding a grudge. Or problems surface in your marriage, and... Your mind goes to some pretty dark places. You find out people are talking behind your back and swearing about them feels good. Your teenager who used to love you dearly now claims they hate your guts. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes you can't wait until they move out. Your knee starts acting up and you're tempted to just turn into a slothful couch potato. You find out your job is on the chopping block and you start drinking a few too many pretty regularly. You develop a bizarre allergy to pomegranates and start wondering, is God out to get me? You go to a high school reunion and feel like everyone there is more successful than you. And you can't stop wishing that you had more money and more to show for your life. Life is just full of hard experiences, and some of them are bizarre, some of them are dark, some of them feel very tempting, and we're left trying to figure out what part of our experience is because of natural causes, what part might be God somehow testing, and what part is just temptation from dark forces. Christian scripture tells us that no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. God is love, there is no fear in love. God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. James 1, 1 John 4, 1 John 1. But scripture also describes God testing humanity. Like, God tests Abraham to see how he will respond to a request to sacrifice his son. God wants to see and discover if the people of Israel will follow God's instructions in the wilderness so that God can know what is in their heart. God temporarily withdraws support from the people of Israel. God leaves Hezekiah to himself in order to know what is in his heart. Now, God's testing is a real brain-bender for people. Part of God giving us human agency and freedom of choice is that God lets us make choices rather than treating us according to choices we have not yet made. Scripture doesn't describe these tests as a game where God already knows that we're going to fail, but God gives us the test anyways. That's not how they are described. It doesn't describe the tests as being for the sake of our discovery. The tests are described as being for the sake of God's discovery. Like, God genuinely wants to find out what is in our heart. And God genuinely wants to know if we will choose God above all else. And not every test in scripture turns out in God's favor. It's only after the tests go well that God says, now I know, now I know. Like, for example, Genesis 22, now I know that you fear me, that you fear God. Now, to make the situation even more confusing, this question of test or temptation, there are stories in the Bible where an experience is first attributed to God as if it were some kind of a test. 2 Samuel 24, but then the exact same experience is later attributed to Satan as if it were a temptation. 1 Chronicles 21. So this brings us to our scripture today, which is Luke chapter 4, 1 through 3. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan. Remember, we we had his baptism in the Jordan River, and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. We find Jesus in this story caught in the middle of these many forces. It's like he's in the middle of the Venn diagram. We see Jesus experiencing temptation from a dark force. This is the first mention of the devil, the accuser in the Gospel of Luke. But we also see Jesus being led by the Spirit into the wilderness. That's why he's there. And we also see Jesus experiencing natural hunger pangs. And we will see Jesus understanding this experience, not only in terms of temptation, but also in terms of testing as well. Even so, for many people, This story of Jesus being tempted can seem very removed from their experience. Like they read this, and the picture of the devil that they get in their mind is like this image of Will Ferrell from a Saturday Night Live skit. Or they think about a country song about selling your soul to the devil. The devil went down to Georgia looking for a soul to steal. They, they imagine some kind of an easily recognizable red man with a cape and a pitchfork whose voice makes the hair stand up on your neck and he suggests that Jesus do things that no one would ever try to do. Like, this story just feels far away to many people because they haven't been tempted to turn rocks into bread. They haven't been tempted to jump off a building And they probably haven't even been tempted to worship the devil. And so it's easy to read this story in a very caricatured and distant way where it begins to look much more like a comic book, like good guys versus bad guys. It feels more like that than the way that we experience real life. You see, in real life... The tests and the temptations that we experience are rarely clear. They're rarely easy to recognize. There is no angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other shoulder. There's only a string of ideas and thoughts and feelings that are running through our mind, and all of them feel attractive. They seem to make sense. They seem plausible And often we aren't aware that there's another player in the game at all. We experience our thoughts and our desires as different parts of who we are. And yeah, we have conflicting desires. Part of us wants to do this and part of us would rather do that. And often the choices that we consider and the options that we weigh in our minds, they don't feel clearly defined as good and evil. We wrestle with choices between good and better, or between bad and worse. In order for any temptation to really feel like it's actually tempting, there has to be quite a lot of good that's wrapped up in it. And so we wrestle with compromises and trade-offs and internally justifying our actions and sometimes we wrestle with simply being paralyzed by our own internal swirl of thoughts and doing nothing. It's been said that temptation is a legitimate God-given need that part of you is trying to meet in an illegitimate way, but the real conundrum of the experience is that things just aren't clear-cut. The different parts of who we are hold a big internal debate about what it even looks like to meet our legitimate needs in a legitimate way. And everyone has a different opinion about which trade-off or compromise is acceptable, which means in a world full of smartphones, it's not hard to find someone who will agree with you and tell you that the way you're handling your life is right and good. You can always find someone telling you that the ends justify the means, and many social media algorithms and marketing schemes are built to reinforce your thinking and agree with you. And what I just described sounds a long, long way from a devil with a red cape sitting on your shoulder. So let's put that picture of the devil in a red cape on pause for a moment. The scripture doesn't tell us that the devil told Jesus he was about to tempt him, like in a ping pong match where you call out the score before you serve. I don't think that there was any warning. I think that Jesus' mind simply turned towards a different flow of thoughts, temptation thoughts, like, it's not good to be this hungry. I love food. I love eating. Food is a gift from God. Does God really want his beloved son's tummy making this much noise? I am absolutely famished. I should just snap my fingers and have a loaf of bread. Some nice sourdough sounds absolutely perfect. I can almost smell it. Or I could go rye or limpa or wheat or garlic bread. How hard could that be for the Son of God? I am the Son of God, right? Now, that's more the way I imagine it. None of this is to say that Jesus was unable to identify the source of these thoughts as coming from the devil, but it is to recognize the way that temptations come to us. They come not as a voice from the outside, but as thoughts in our mind we can really struggle to discern which thoughts are spirit thoughts, which thoughts are our own thoughts, and which thoughts are temptation thoughts. Now, of course, our temptation is not to turn rocks into bread, because we don't have that kind of power. And yet... We experience the essence of this temptation that Jesus went through all the time, I think. We are tempted all the time by things that have a whole lot of good wrapped up in them, like really good bread. And we are tempted to question our identity as the beloved of God and try to find our identity somewhere else, prove our identity somehow. We are tempted to use the power that we do have to get what we want, to serve ourselves. We're tempted all the time by instant gratification. It's impulse control. We really struggle to embrace delayed gratification. We don't like delayed gratification. We are tempted to avoid pain in the moment. We like band-aid solutions. We like temporary comforts rather than choosing the long slow road of trusting God to provide in the midst of discomfort. We're tempted to let the ends justify the means. We're tempted to take matters into our own hands. We're tempted to act independently rather than depend on God. Everyone experiences temptation in a way that is somehow unique to them and so That's true of Jesus as well in this story. Obviously, you are not tempted to turn rocks into bread, which can make you feel far removed from this story. But I don't think that's the case. So it brings us to a discussion question, a reflection question if you're listening alone reflect on how the real essence of this temptation attempts to infect your everyday thinking and living. So take a moment with that. In the Genesis story, Adam and Eve were tempted to exercise their power to reach out and take fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that fruit, the book of Genesis calls it good for food and pleasing to the eyes. And we too are tempted to become captivated with what we want and with the object of our appetites, instant gratification to exercise our power to reach out and take for ourselves. Irenaeus of Lyon said it this way, he says, The corruption of humankind that began in paradise when humanity and Adam and Eve ate doubly of what they were not supposed to eat was undone by Christ's hunger in this world. From the earliest centuries of Christianity, Jesus was understood as becoming the new Adam, the new Israel, representing the new Exodus. For instance, where Adam brought death by exercising his power to reach out and take the fruit, Jesus became the new Adam, defeating death, launching the new creation. Where the people of Israel were tested in the wilderness for 40 years so that God could see what was in their heart. Would they trust God to provide them bread? Jesus became the new Israel, showing his people the new exodus. Jesus resisted this temptation not only with words, yes he speaks words, but by rooting his experience in the story of the people of Israel. His answer to the devil was, it is written, Humanity, or man, it's humanity, does not live on bread alone. His answer is much more than just words, more than a phrase. It's a story of the people of Israel in the wilderness. The, the scripture that he quotes comes from Deuteronomy 8, verse 2. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years? kind of like fasting 40 days to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus was referring to an experience, he was remembering an experience where the people of Israel woke up every morning and they found bread, called manna, on the ground in the desert. They didn't create it, it was God's provision, and they collected enough of it for that day. If they were greedy, if they were fearful, and they collected more than they needed for the day, it would spoil. And that was the test. This was how God fed his people in the desert for 40 years. When these temptations came to Jesus, these temptations that, you know, is my identity, is my life actually hanging on needing to eat, on creating bread out of rocks? Jesus thought back to God providing Bread and daily provision. And he thought back to his baptism as God's beloved and he was able to respond, No, humanity doesn't live on bread alone. Now, the question is, how does this ancient answer connect with your daily experience of temptation? At one level, this story depicts Jesus doing what we as humans have all failed to do which is resist temptation. And at another level, it is Jesus showing us the new way forward through the wilderness. Jesus says humanity doesn't live on bread alone. Within every temptation, there's a whole lot of good. And somewhere there's a lie. Somewhere there is a lie buried. And the lie in this case, in this temptation, was no, humanity does live on bread alone. Some some form of something. Like your life feels like it rises and falls. Your identity feels like it rises and falls based on something. Now, on Sunday... The discussion question happened in groups. If you're listening online, then you just spent some time reflecting, considering the essence of this temptation to turn rocks into bread. And of course, you probably weren't thinking about actual bread. So the question is, what were you thinking about? Can you identify the lie that's buried within the good. Somewhere there's a lie that your identity and your life is wrapped up in doing something or in having something. So what what is it? How do you fill in that blank? What is it that you hunger for and chase after and try to use your power to reach out and acquire? What are the identity issues that you wrestle with Somewhere in there is a lie that's buried that says, this is the source of your identity. This is the source of your life. And the lesson of the wilderness is that this is not the source of your identity. This is not the source of your life. The lesson of the wilderness is humanity doesn't live on bread alone. The lesson of the wilderness is that God provides even when we don't know how God is going to provide. There's a reason that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, Give us this day our daily bread. So try listening to this passage that Jesus quotes, but instead of thinking about it as a faraway story, try filling in the blank. Humanity doesn't live on blank alone. And think about the essence of this temptation for you, Think about the lie that this temptation tries to tell you, you've got to have this. For instance, let's say in our discussion time, reflection time, that you were thinking about how your identity is so tied up in your career and the success of your work that it's basically your entire life. So try plugging that word career into this passage and listen at another level as if this is your story. So I'll read it for you. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on career alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So a final reflection time is try inserting some of the words that really get at the essence of this temptation for you. Humanity doesn't live on blank alone. And reflect on how God has provided this, provided bread for you when you have trusted. Thank you for joining us for a Sunday sermon from NETARTS Friends Church. We hope you'll join us soon for one of our in-person worship gatherings. For more information, hop on over to netartsfriends.org. God's peace be with you, friends.